Welcome to Shovel Talk, a podcast for economic developers. From your friends at the Golden Shovel Agency. Hello and welcome to Shovel Talk. If you're wondering whose voice you're hearing, my name is Darren Barley and I'm the VP of Client Retention and Creative Services here at Golden Shovel. And I've been here the whole time as far as Shovel Talk goes. Um, I am the producer of this podcast, so I've been behind the scenes and every now and then I'll come out from behind the curtain, and this episode is one of those. Amanda Jenkins will be joining me on this podcast. Uh, Bethany will be back for our next episode. But before Amanda introduces our wonderful guest for this episode, um, I do want to talk about what's going on here at Golden Shovel. We just recently launched a remote working ebook that we're super proud of. Um, you can download that at uh, goldenshovelagency.com. There's a nice big button on the homepage for you to download it, as well as one of those great pop ups that will remind you to download it. Um, We had a lot of fun putting this together. There's a lot of great information in there, along with some really cool and interesting case studies of of what's going on around the U.S. as far as recruiting that remote worker. All right. So again, I won't be running the show alone. Amanda Jenkins is going to hop on here in a second, and I'm excited for her to uh, let everyone know what's going on with her. Uh, A next chapter of her life is going to be starting something that's been on a little bit of a hold in regards to the pandemic. So she can give you all an update on that as well as our guest. So Amanda, take it away. Yes, Darren, thank you so much. I am excited to share with everyone that I will be embarking on a a big life change here in about a week and a half. I will be starting to travel full time. And this is actually something that I was planning pre-pandemic. If you recall the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone thought that, you know, it wasn't going to last very long. That's when I decided to um, move out of my apartment and sell all my belongings and get ready for full-time travel, a full-time travel lifestyle. And um, as you can imagine, that got pushed off and pushed off and pushed off with the pandemic. But I'm very excited that I will be actually leaving in about a week and a half for Los Cabos, Mexico. That will be the first uh, destination I live in for about two months. I'll be staying at a uh, co-living space. And so I think, you know, in future podcasts, um, I'll kind of share what that's like uh, and what my next location might be after the first couple months. Um, Yeah, so I'm excited to kind of share this journey with everybody. I will be doing what they call uh, slow matting, which is a slow traveling digital nomad. And yeah, and I'll, uh, I also blog about this, about remote work and travel. And so that's something that I'll definitely share on future podcasts. Enough about me. Let's go ahead and get on to today's episode. We have a really exciting guest for you today. He is the COO of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Ryan Tanky. So you'll find out today how his perseverance and dedication to networking took him from ticket sales to unpaid internship to then a paid internship and then uh, landed him a full-time position with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So very exciting podcast today. Towards the end, we actually are implementing a very exciting new portion of our podcast. And lucky for us, Ryan decided and agreed to be our guinea pig for this portion of the podcast. We are implementing a lightning question round. So Ryan will have one minute to answer 10 questions as fast as he possibly can. He will get one pass, but as you'll hear, the questions get more interesting as we go. So he's going to want to hold on to that pass till the end. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it back over to Darren for our conversation with Ryan Tanky, COO of the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
Well, I want to thank you, Ryan, for joining us on Shovel Talk here. Um, people may be wondering how we got the COO of the Timberwolves to join us on Shovel Talk, but I kind of had it in here. Um, Ryan and I grew up together in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, we're both grads of La Crosse Logan, which uh, means we did grow up on the mean streets of the north side. But I think, Ryan, you grew up in French Island. You actually grew up in French Island, right? I grew up on the north side of La Crosse, so I'm an official uh, north sider, Darren. Uh, moved to French Island in eighth grade. So uh, same school district, right? But did uh, we did move in eighth grade. All right. So you actually did spend some time on the mean streets. I'm a Madeira <laughs> guy. So I, if I have to be totally honest, I'm actually not from the mean streets of the north side. So um, I guess you were. So I, um, that brings up some of your internal toughness. Don't, and- don't blow your own cover. <laughs> And also another thing that we have in common is um, we both kind of grew up as members of the Lacrosse Boys and Girls Club. I really know how much that meant to me, you know, probably um, other than my parents, as far as influences and, you know, what I think shapes me. And I still think back to um, memories and things I learned from my time at the club. And I know you um, had some of those same experiences as well. So I wonder if you could touch a little bit on how the Lacrosse Boys and Girls Club um, helped shape you for your professional life. It is. And it's, it's the place, Darren, I, I certainly got to know you and your family at a, a very young age. And it's, you know, it's meant a lot. It's a place where I had an opportunity to, to grow up. It's the place I was first exposed to athletics and, you know, hopefully, you know, learn to compete and all of the things that you learn through team sports that become life lessons that serve you know, all of us well still to this day. So it's a place I certainly actively participated. It's a place I actually worked. It was first, my first employment was working mm-hmm. at the Boys and Girls Club, within the club, eventually as a coach. And a place to this day, I'm very proud to still support and lend help, you know, however I can. So it's, you know, it's been a part of almost my entire life, um, going all the way back to those mean streets of the north side. <laughs> You're younger than I am. So were you, did you attend the Lacrosse Boys and Girls Club when it was on the old church, the old Catholic church on the corner? I sure did. So that was, uh, I don't remember the exact year when it, when it relocated into the, the new club, but certainly, you know, for the first, you know, four or five years of competing, it was, it was in an old church and, you know, such great memories as a, as a young kid that, you know, even as you asked that question, it jogged, you know, certain moments and experiences that helped shape you as a, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, when you would, if you would spend the day there, there was a pretty good chance. Maybe you might need a tetanus shot. Maybe when you came home, that place <laughs> was just, um, so for the listeners out there, it was, you know, your traditional Midwestern Catholic church that sat on the corner. They renovated it into a basketball court and the basement was full of, uh, had a couple of pool tables and a ping pong table, but let's just say probably some stuff wasn't up to code. And let's just say you could find yourself with a few scratches, I guess, when you came home from there <laughs> and then. All of a sudden, they built this beautiful club, and they actually have renovated it since then. So, yeah. yeah, just gorgeous new renovations that they have, and just to see that place thriving, you know, some 40, 40 plus years, Darren, since you and I first started at that corner church, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Do you have a favorite memory, or it could be good, it could be bad, it could be maybe just uh, just something that stuck with you throughout the years from your time at the club as a kid? Yeah, I don't know that I have a specific thing as a kid, it was a place I went every day, right? So we, we mm. would go after school every single day. And, you know, it was a place where 
I think as a kid competing in, in baseball, football, basketball, growing up, those weekend tournaments, Darren, that, you know, we all would go to with our parents and families and be able to compete around, you know, the state or around the region. I mean, there's just so many amazing things that, that happen as a coach. I actually, one of my fondest memories is you're asking the question. I actually had a chance to coach a team in, uh, it would have been the, Yes, summer of 95 or 96. It was as I was a senior in college and I, I coached a 12 year old baseball team that went on to win a significant tournament called the Stars of Tomorrow Tournament down there. That is really a big deal, was a big deal. And, you know, teams from all over the country coming in to compete and had a chance to coach just a great group of kids um, who are now grown men that really was just an awesome summer and a incredible memory and moment, you know, in my life. Yeah. I'd have to say I was one of those kids that would hang on my, on your, on their dad's leg. Let's just put it that way. in Blue Republic. So incredibly shy. And it just got to the point where my dad got tired of it. So this is something I'm sure wouldn't fly today for as a, as a parenting tactic, but what he did was, um, and I can remember him doing this and it, and it scared the heck out of me. He drove me down to the boys club, told me to get out of the car and told me to go in there and drove away, left me there on that corner and I sat on the steps for a while, and I finally got the nerve to go in. And there was no one to know who these people are, but Dewey and Rod Amundsen. You know who I'm talking about, Ryan. But, yeah. Um, and that was my introduction to the boys' club. Um, so all those years, I thought, man, I can't believe my dad actually did that. He just dropped me off and took off and left me there by myself. What if I would have walked off or whatever? But it turns out, yeah, I don't. I don't think that would fly today, Darren. I've got a. I've got a six and an eight year old. I don't. I don't know. I. I I've thought about dropping them off places, but I haven't actually gone through with it yet. Well, here's the thing. So, but what my dad actually did, and like I said, I just found this out in my adult years, was he actually drove around the block and was kind of hiding around the corner and just sitting there watching me for the whole time until I actually went in. And then he sat there just waiting for me to, to come out. So there was no cell phones and I guess I didn't call him on my cell phone and tell, me, no. tell him that I was ready to be picked up. But I would say I can still kind of remember that nervous feeling of walking in there it's amazing the memories you can still feel as, a, as an adult that you had as a kid. No, and you create relationships that are lifelong relationships. And in, in when you put yourself in places like that where you grow and you, you compete and you're on teams, and those are, those are people that remain friends and family to this day. So it's, to say it's a special place for me would be an understatement. Well, I have loved hearing your guys' stories here. It sounds like you had some uh, really fun times with the uh, with the Boys and Girls Club. Now, I'd love to talk a little bit about your career, Ryan. So I read a, a pretty interesting story of, I would say, perseverance of how you landed your internship with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I remember I went to college in at St. Mary's University in Winona, Minnesota, and had an opportunity to go and play basketball at the Division Three level. And I remember my junior year of college, I remember much different than most of the other kids or friends. I was way more focused on what I was going to do after college than most of my friends. And I remember that, you know, particularly my senior year. And I started my senior year of college putting together this great resume and all of these things. And I was, I was going to find a way to work inside of sports. And I, I, I got a business degree and I love sports. I grew up, you know, competing and just loving professional sports. And so I sent a resume off, Amanda, to every 
team president of every professional sports team in the country. And as you'd expect, the exact number of responses that I got from that, you know, letter and beautiful resume was zero. And so I, you know, knew that I needed to take a different approach if I was going to pursue sort of a, call it a dream or an interest. And so most of my college friends were from either Chicago or Minneapolis area. And so decided I was going to move up to Minneapolis and try to figure it out. And so I was able to get a position, full-time job as an administrative assistant to a quite carpet and drapery cleaning, a local small business up here right after college and had a friend of my family's that, that had the company and I was the, the owner's assistant. And he was so great during, I was there a year. And during that year, he was really encouraging, knowing what I wanted to try to pursue and network my way into the sports landscape in the Twin Cities. And so I decided moving up here, I didn't know anybody or I, I didn't uh, you know, have a lot of connections, didn't know anybody inside of the sports world. And so I decided, Amanda, I was just going to go to Target Center one day. Basketball, NBA is my favorite sport. Love the NBA. I was just going to go to the arena one day and see if I could get a job. And I didn't care if I was selling popcorn or cleaning the place. I just thought if maybe I went down and got a job, there would be an opportunity that might come from that just connection. So my first job, I actually got hired selling tickets at the ticket windows on game nights. So I would work my full-time job. I'd go to the target center on game nights and, you know, work will call or sell tickets at the windows. And then at halftime, they would close up and I would get a you know ticket to go sit in the upper level of the arena and watch second half of the game. It was great. But what I did was anytime I saw somebody with a credential on, I would make note of who they were and then try to follow up and figure out what they did. And so a lot of handwritten notes, lots of follow-ups. And through that year or half a year, I guess it was doing this for games, concerts, events, I, I met some folks. And ultimately that led to a opportunity to work as an intern with the organization Darren will remember, Darren was there, someone I knew within the organization and was, was, was helpful through that process, but much, much different. The business of sports was much different at that point in 97 than it is today. I think the organization was in total, maybe 50 employees at that time. I think there was two full-time internships that they had. And so I was, I was blessed to get one of them. And it was funny. I remember, and I tell the story all the time, going home, telling my mom and dad that I'm now one year removed from college. I had a full-time job with benefits, which was the big deal for my parents. And to go and tell them that I was going to leave a entry-level job as an administrative assistant and go and take an unpaid internship with the Timberwolves. And so my mom, of course, thought I was crazy and what, are, you know, you, you can't do that. But I did. And I jumped in and it was really just a three-month internship initially that I, I took with the organization. Three months became six months. Um, six months eventually became almost a year of doing that. And I worked nights and weekends, some part-time retail jobs to pay rent and, and find a way to, to live through it. And then in the, uh, the spring of 98 was when we launched the Minnesota Lynx franchise of the WNBA. And as part, we, we went through a little bit of a growth in our, our staff. And so I happened to get the opportunity to catch on full-time in a full-time capacity with the organization that spring of 98. So 
I'm not sure if that hit on your 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 specific perseverance story, but it was <laughs> it was an awesome time. And I just remember, and I tell this when I speak to classes, it was it was a life lesson of just one, sending out your resume doesn't do anything. It's what you do mm-hmm. with it. And you've got to be willing to bring that to life and go and, and make things happen. And then two, sometimes you've got to take chances. And usually you look back at what those sort of risks or chances are. And they're, most of the time you look back and they weren't really a chance. It was what was meant to be. Right. Yeah, that is dedication to dream. And you definitely did hit on the story I was talking about. Now, I want to know, while you were working the internship and, and working, uh, you know, other, like you said, retail to, to actually have income, what kept you going? What, you know, not knowing if this was going to turn into to something down the road, what kept you going and, um, you know, kept that dream alive for you? I think it was, I don't, I, I wish I could say at that point, I had some grandiose vision or plan. I, I definitely did not. I was, you know, you don't want to say you're just happy to be there. And I, but I, but I was, I, w- I really was, I was happy to be there. I certainly had a dream to, you know, get a full-time position with the organization and, and was willing to do literally anything to, to make that happen. And so I just kind of had a belief in it. And I knew throughout that year as an intern, it was a special place as it is today of just the people that I was able to connect with, you know, and I just, I remember feeling at whatever it was, 23 years old, that I loved going to work, even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting paid or I wasn't, didn't have this just incredible, you know, plan but I knew I loved what I was doing way more than my friends did. And as we would get together on a, on a weekend or whatever, it was just, I remember feeling this, you know, how good I felt loving what I did. And it just, it's something I, I share with new employees when they start with us, or if we're recruiting somebody is just, if you love what you do, it, you never work a day in your life. And I can honestly say, I've been blessed to always love what I've done. And so it's, it stuck with me. And, and the other, I think, mistake a lot of young people can make is they give up on things too quickly. And they, whether it's their parental influence or, or what, they just, you know, it's sometimes you've got to stick through things and, you know, you've got to push through the challenges that you face. And, you know, because you, I always say, why did you do it in the first place? And if, right. if the answer is you had some big dream or big vision, well, you've got to let that you've got to give that time and be willing to do whatever it takes to achieve it. Yep. Definitely. Coming back to your why is always, you know, whenever always. You're feeling a little bit lost coming back to the why. So tell us about how, you know, your career path, how, what did, what did that look like? Yeah, I really started. So when I, when I started full-time with the organization, it was in the capacity of a, of a ticket, an entry level ticket sales position, um, selling season and group tickets for the Timberwolves and Lynx. And it's interesting because I never thought, certainly in college or even when I, when I took an internship, that I was going to be in sales. And it was, uh, I remember my first day just feeling this terror. I was terrified. You know, here's, here's, you know, here's a list of people and you're going to be, be calling this list of people and trying to sell them something they, they don't know they, they want or certainly don't need. And so it was it was an awesome sort of, I think, personal development. And I, I tell everybody like sales certainly isn't for everybody, but everybody sells, if that makes sense. You're, you're selling an idea to your boss. You're selling 
a, in a job interview, it's a sales, you know, capacity. You're constantly selling an idea or yourself upon someone. And so I, I, I think I just, I, I found that I, I, I almost got a competitive juice through the, the art of sales, if you will. And so as an athlete and someone that just thrived on competition, I actually got into the competition of it. So over time, I was, I was really in the ticket sales area for, I guess it was five or six years, Amanda, and had an opportunity to grow first with the Timberwolves. My first management opportunity was uh, leading our youth basketball efforts. We've got a, a great program to this day that you know, puts camps and clinics you know, really through the lens of how do we grow the game of basketball. So I, I managed that area, eventually became the season ticket sales manager for the organization. And then I was six years in, uh, loved it. I didn't even have a resume put together at the time, but an opportunity presented itself in San Diego, California. And uh, through a series of random introductions and the sports university is a, tr- is a pretty small network. And so I happened to meet some folks and they were going through some changes and had an opportunity. So I I had never even really, certainly had never been to San Diego or really Southern California. And so it was, it was a, it was a leap. And I remember I got there on my 30th birthday and it was uh, director of ticket and suite sales was the position. And, you know, it was, it was, I didn't know anybody. So it was like that back to that point around take chances and be willing to get uncomfortable. It was as uncomfortable as I could have gotten. I was super comfortable. The Timberwolves and Lynx was truly family to me. And, but I, but I took that, took that leap and went out to, to San Diego. Certainly wasn't, you know, not from Minneapolis. I wasn't planning to come back. There was again, no grand vision of, I would go out and come back to Minnesota or the Timberwolves. But I think, you know, you, uh, another lesson of just, you keep, when you have good relationships, keep them. And I, I certainly maintained relationships with leaders in the organization and friendships with people within the organization. So I stayed connected and, you know, a couple of years into my San Diego experience, the Timberwolves were going to go through, you know, a version of reorganization and restructuring and, you know, frankly, even changes that to their on-court product that I think it was a big period of change. And so change usually creates opportunity. And so for me, that opportunity presented to come back in a, in a bigger capacity. Uh, Vice president of ticket sales was, was role when I came back, eventually senior vice president of sales and service for the organization, um, chief revenue officer, I think in 2012. And then uh, most recently about two years ago was, was elevated to chief operating officer um, so it's it's pretty unique to be able to grow and uh, have opportunity at a place, at the same place in our industry. Usually there's a lot more movement, you know, uh, than, than I've certainly had to have. So it's, you know, it's it's been hopefully a combination of certainly good fortune, good timing, but hard, hard work. And that part, you know, I, I as I've, I don't know, gotten older, I've just, you know, it, you can do what you want, but you've got to be willing to to roll up the sleeves and, and go and actually do it. And so I, that part I'm very proud of because it, it didn't just happen. It's it's a lot of hard work. So sunny San Diego couldn't keep you, huh? <laughs> I love the time there. And again, like you, you talk about things in your life that you 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 do and you'll never regret when you take those types of chances. 
Some of my best friends to this day are people that I worked with in San Diego. It's a place my now wife, then girlfriend, and I were had such a special time there personally and professionally able to grow. And, you know, to this day, we just love it there. And so it's a place that will always be kind of a, another home for us. Definitely. Yeah. California is beautiful, but that must mean then the, there's something super special about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So that's awesome. Or I just miss the, uh, the snow and below zero weather. Yeah, I, I wasn't going with that because I really don't see how that could be. <laughs> but that might just be because I'm in California, so. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll do it. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the Timberwolves family. So you mentioned yep. that um, I worked there. Um, I had a, if you want to use a sports cliche, I had a cup of coffee with the Timberwolves. I was there for a couple seasons right when you came on um, as yep. an intern. And even in that short period of time that I was with the Wolves, um, I did notice that there was a, a real kind of a family culture there. There was there was a there was a lot of our fellow employees who had been there from you know the beginning, right? And some of those people from the back in the late '90s um, when I was there are still there. I was doing some research on you. Um, there was a feature I can't quite remember the publication, but you had this quote that stuck with me. You, you said, um, "I think too many companies hire for tasks." If you hire for culture, um, you don't go wrong very often. And I'm wondering um, if you can kind of expand on, on that quote a little bit more and maybe talk about that, how that correlates with uh, the Timberwolves culture and how they have, you know, so many employees who have stuck around for so many years. I think if you, you know, if you go to the, the go to the interview process, you know, if, if you're interviewing me, Darren, and I'm looking for an opportunity, right, as the, as the person interviewing you, you're looking for somebody who can do the job at the very highest level and you want the candidate can do the job at the highest level, but you also want somebody that fits within the fabric of who you are as a company and where you're going, maybe more importantly, and do they fit that sort of arc of what you're trying to create? And interestingly, as the person being interviewed, what am I looking for? I'm looking for a place and an opportunity where my skill sets you know, will be a great fit and I'll be able to, to thrive. But you also, I believe people want to, I call it get in where you fit in, right? You're looking to be a part of a place or a group of people, your tribe that you want to be a part of. And so I think when hiring mistakes happen, and certainly I've, I've made them, when you, when, you, when you make them, it's because you, you sort of overcompensate one versus, you know, one of those two things, or you ignore one of those two things, or you don't, you get enamored of, you know, this an Ivy League education, but they might not be a great fit or a incredible fit. But in the end, they weren't the best talent. And so it really is both. And I think, you know, my even my position on it has certainly evolved over years around, you know, you want to find people that believe in what you believe and they want to be a part of what you're trying to build and, they're committed to, 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 you know, that, that, that why Amanda, as you said, of what we're trying to do. And at our core, like we bring people together and you've got to be passionate about bringing people together and what we can do, you know, for our fans and the, and the broader community. That's well said, Ryan. So um, I want to, I want to test you here. So there were two major firsts during my very short tenure with the Wolves. I'm wondering one of them is really going to date us. So I'm, and one of them is going to be a major milestone. So see if you can, what, are, what were the two firsts during my really short stint with the Timberwolves? No doubt. One of them has to be the first playoff 
appearance, right? Bingo. Or the first something, something of that nature, right? So I think Correct. He, Bingo, you got the first one. Now, can you get the second one? The team made the playoffs for the first time. The second one, and I don't know your exact tenure, but I would think it was actually the one of the not, you know, the reason perhaps I got hired was the launch of the Minnesota Lynx franchise and the first women's professional sports team. In the, that, in the that, that's a good one, but that, that's not really going to date us. The Timberwolves launched their very first website <laughs> during our time. That is wow. how long wow. that was. So maybe well, I did you, <laughs> you absolutely just dated us. <laughs> Well, you guys had to, you know, soften that hard exterior that you, you know, that, got in the beginning with the mean streets you grew up on. Isn't is it? It's true. Isn't it amazing the things you just kind of take, like you, to think that there was a world not that long ago, you know, where a website and things you just today would take <laughs> total for granted. But yeah, you, I guess you would technically be right. I actually, I, I um, checked my work on that too. I contacted an old writer, Joe Oberly, wow. for him, um, just yeah. to make sure that that actually did happen when I was there. And I was like, oh boy. All right. Well, let's move on to modern day, right? Okay. So if anybody hasn't heard, we're um, sitting in the middle of a pandemic. You guys are playing games in the vast Target Center with no fans. I'm still enthralled with the games. I watched the game last night. It was a great game. Um, great. And I, you know, I happen to notice Crunch there banging on his drum on TV. And I'm like, all right, well, who's he banging his drum for? Okay. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, and I don't even know, I guess I don't even know if you're involved in this with the organization, but I'm sure you, you're aware. So t- just tell me what, what creative ideas are going on. What are, what are the game ops folks doing? What are you guys doing to, to make, you know, uh, I guess an atmosphere for the viewer through TV in that arena with no fans? It's, it's one of the things, Darren, that I'm, I'm honestly most proud of, of the things I've done is the launch of this season. And it's, it's, a, it's a strange one because the amount of work that went into, you know, creating a safe environment to play and have games at Target Center without even without fans is is pretty remarkable and there's a group of people that worked literally tirelessly around the clock for months just to get that to bring that to life and there was a couple of just pillars that we we really operated under and one it had to be an authentic game experience right and so for your players and you think about the grind of these guys playing an 82 game season or a 72 game season rather in front of no fans and the disruption and the asks of these players is it, it doesn't get enough even attention really around. They're asked to essentially live life inside of a bit of a bubble for an extended period of time. In a lot of cases, away from family, uh, away from friends, all of those things. So we wanted the experience for them to be a great one because we knew if we got it right for the players, the product on the court was going to create a much better more entertaining product. Secondly, we knew that likelihood we would not be in a place this season to sell tickets. And if we did, it would be a very minimal amount of tickets that we would sell. So we knew that we wanted to create a really engaging and innovative broadcast experience. And so what are the things we could do to create essentially almost like a turn our transform our arena into a almost a made for TV studio. And so the, you know, what investments could we, would we make to transform the arena? And so if you've watched a game, you know, the amount of work that we've done to 
create an environment where you should find yourself almost forgetting there's not fans when you watch it on TV. And that's part of the goal. And so things like tarping all of the seats. Mm -hmm. And so when you're watching a game on TV, you never see an empty seat. You know, there's no, you don't see a seat that reminds you there's nobody there. Uh, Digital innovations where we've got a whole bunch of new technology and signage inside and around the court that we can use to activate sponsors. We can use to enhance the game experience that people are, are viewing at home, but we've spent a lot of time and just energy around what that experience should look, should look like. And so everything we're doing is really for, for the players and creating an authentic environment and for the viewers, those of you watching at home and still consuming and engaging our product. Well, I also say just from a personal angle, you guys have done the best job that I've heard as far as the the, uh, the crowd noise that you hear on TV. You've just done a great job. And I've heard it commentate or people commenting on it on other media channels as far as how good the game environment on the TV has been. It is. And the, you know, the system that is in place, you know, there's some artificial intelligence in play. There's some you know, the, it, it ramps up as the game goes on, as it would normally, you know, as the, as the crowd noise would be louder typically in the fourth quarter than the first quarter. Um, it's, it's been pretty amazing. And when you watch the games at home, again, you feel like there's a real environment and a real atmosphere in play. Well, you know, the vaccinations are ramping up. But, you know, if we think, if we think logically about when the, when the United States is going to be fully vaccinated – it's not going to be done by the beginning of the 2021-2022 season. So I'm curious about how you're planning for next season already, you know, as far as the season tickets go, I've seen the ads for it, but you know, how do you go about that with uh, so much uncertainty still out there on whether we'll be able to attend the game or at what capacity will target center um, be required to be at for games in 2021-2022? I think the, the really simple answer is hopeful. And, you know, we, you know, I use this with our, with my team and our leaders. It's almost like your grandparents used to say, well, you've got to have something to look forward to, right? Like we, we talk all the time about, I take people to opening night next year and sort of close your eyes. And what do you want that to look like and feel like and creating that vision? Because there's things that I miss. There's things that our fans miss. There's things that you know, people genuinely miss and, and you, you take for granted just when the doors open and what that feels like entering an arena, the smell of popcorn and the, the sounds, the sights, all of it, that we really try to create that picture today and then work backwards, Darren. And so for us, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen for us to, you know, create that safe and memorable environment that we're going to, you know, again, return to. And so, one, it creates just this, you know, beacon of hope that we then can start to work towards. And, you know, I don't know whether it's October or November or, you know, you, the, the exact date, nobody knows, but there will be a day when that mm-hmm. will open and we'll be able to work towards that. And so for today, we're operating as if that's going to be opening night, downtown Minneapolis with fans, and we can't wait for it. And, you know, we've done enough with our fans and season ticket holders and corporate partners over the last year that they know it's, it's going to be through the filter of safety. And if it's not fully safe 
to do that, then their investment with us is fully secure and all of those things will do, do right by them putting them first along the way. I want to move on to a little bit of a discussion about the events from last summer. You know, our world had already changed, but it changed again after the George Floyd killing up here in the Twin Cities where you and I both live. Now, we both, we, you know, sports fans probably know that the NBA has always allowed its players, its coaches, its owners, et cetera, to kind of have a larger stage than other professional sports leagues when it comes to expressing their viewpoints on social matters. Um, the NBA bubble last summer really allowed the NBA and its players to convey their feelings on a variety of social issues with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, being number one. You know, they things included the buses the teams traveled on had messaging on the sides. There obviously was the on-court messaging on, on the courts. The players had their own messages on their jerseys. They had the opportunity to choose from a variety of different messaging on their jerseys. Now, I'm asking this not to get into any some sort of debate on what the NBA's role should be in regards to matters like that, but it is a fact that the league did take a major leadership role in this. However, the Wolves were one of the teams that were not invited to the bubble. So I'm just wondering if you can kind of um, let our listeners know how the Wolves organizations, the front office, the players, the organization as a whole kind of addressed this uh, last summer. I think even backing up from there, Darren, you know, what we have particularly in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul is there's really three crises or challenges stacked together, right? And all three of them are uniquely connected and yet they're all different issues that we have to, to, to tackle and, and lead through. One, certainly when you go back to March 11th, which was the day the NBA shut down. And if you guys remember, it was almost as if it sent the whole country into this sort of reality that we're in today around COVID. And I remember that night, it was a Wednesday night, myself, our CEO, Ethan Kasson, and our chief people officer, Sienna, we talked and decided we were going to send out a note that night and we just have to put people first. And that night, which is funny now, we closed the office for Thursday and Friday and just sent a note to our staff, stay home on Thursday and Friday. And then from then we reconnected on Thursday and we extended work from home another week. And, and here we are, but throughout all of it, it was everything. And I'm so proud of this. It's been about our people and how do we do the right thing all the way through this and giving our staff access to medical resources that we're blessed to have, giving our staff information so they can be educated and trying to be a leader in the space, working with our partners and creating awareness, whether it's Mask Up Minnesota or any of the things throughout the pandemic, we thought as a large brand and leader, we needed to be out front of of that. And so it set a tone when you fast forward to what you're referencing in, you know, I guess, late May, early June, and after the killing of George Floyd. And as we found ourselves, you know, with really dealing with a second really challenging and heavy thing right in our backyard, you know, what were we going to do as an organization? And so a lot of the same principles I just described around the pandemic hold exactly true with racial and social injustice and things where, you know, at no point do we believe this is a political issue. We believe it's a human issue. And how do we put what's right and people 
at the forefront and center of all of our efforts. And so we knew that, you know, where we could get involved, we wanted to be involved and we wanted to not only just be a part of the conversation, we wanted to lead conversations. So whether that was things around voting and going and educating ourselves and our community around where and how they can vote. And so creating a voting platform where we would literally, we went out into underserved communities to help uh, voter registration and give people the voice that we all have in, in this process, you know, to looking at organizations that we wanted to partner with who are experts in this space to help us educate ourselves, our staff, and provide us the tools and resources for us to, to express. And, you know, they're, they're, when you look back at the efforts in, in May and June, it was so raw and, and heavy. Everybody wanted to sprint. I wanted to sprint. You know, literally, I remember the days after, and you just wanted to do something. And yet we're in the middle of a pandemic, you're home. And so there was this like sprint. And then you, you I think, settle in and realize that, you know, these are, these are, age old hundreds of years challenges that our country and people have faced. And you're not going to change that overnight, but you do want to lead and you do want to be a part of, can we get better today? And so for us, it was, it was a commitment to do what's right. And at an organization that at its core, you know, every day believes in the power of diversity and inclusion and in creating uh, an environment for people where they can be their best self. Like we, we didn't, I don't know that it wasn't a, even a choice. It was the right thing. And so we jumped in and then it really leads Darren to, you know, the third sort of challenge that we face all again, directly connected is the challenges of downtown Minneapolis and things that have happened connected to the killing of George Floyd and the, the unrest that's happened since. And so it's the exact same thing. We want to be a leader and we want to do be a part of the conversation and we want to be a part of the solution. And so jumping in and knowing that as an organization who is at its core, we bring people together and we bring large groups of people together downtown Minneapolis for Lynx and Timberwolves games. You know, we have to be a part of solving the real challenges and then there's perception challenges. And we knew that we needed to be a part of both. So as you thread 12 months together, it's kind of that same principle of putting people first and trying to do the right thing. That's a perfect lead into talking a little bit about your involvement with the Minneapolis downtown council. Uh, we, we all know small businesses are struggling. Restaurants are closing the North loop um, where the target center um, is located was bustling um, before the pandemic. And, and I haven't been down there since the pan since the pandemic started, but tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe a little bit about your involvement with the Minneapolis downtown council and kind of some plans for the future when we do exit this. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud to serve on the board of directors for the downtown council and the board of directors and executive directors for the, the new loop partners, which focuses around the, the North loop uh, development specifically, but you know, what is so important around downtown Minneapolis, particularly and the challenges that we face, it's not even it's the it's the economic hub or the, the financial hub of the, the Twin Cities it's, or the state. It's the it's really the hub of the entire region. Right. And so it's vibrancy and success and thriving. You know, it means so much to so many people in the region. And so 
it's, you know, we've made strides in the last couple of months. We've got admittedly a tremendous amount of work ahead. You've still, of course, have got the, the trials coming up in the spring and the summer, which, you know, is, you know, you can prepare for a number of things, but you don't know exactly, you know, what the months ahead are going to bring. And so you want to be prepared and yet you've got to continue to lead and you've got to continue to find ways to, to again, be a part of the solution. And, you know, there's partners that we have in organizations like Deluxe Corporation, you know, at a time where people are exiting downtown Minneapolis, they very pridefully are coming and moving downtown, literally running into the challenges. And, you know, I've, I've talked with their, their, their CEO, Barry, just, the leadership that that takes when people zig, you zag. And, you know, there's so many companies and business leaders and community leaders that are coming together. There's a lot of good that is coming and will come from these challenges, all of the challenges that we faced. There's good and important things that are going to happen that will last a heck of a lot longer than the short-term challenges that we face. At this point in the um, conversation is normally when I would be asking you kind of get to know you questions like what book you're reading and what your favorite podcast is and things like that. Um, But we're turning this into a game. And so uh, Ryan, you have agreed to be our guinea pig. So no backing out now. Uh oh. So this this is our lightning questions game. I'm still working on the name. I'm not sure if we're still going to call it that, but we're going to put one minute on the clock. Darren, do you want to do the timer for me? No cheating, Darren. (laughs) Uh, Sure. I will have that ready. All right. So one minute on the clock. I have 10 questions for you. I'm going to say them as fast as I can so that you have ample time to answer them. We'll see. Just answer them as fast as you can. First thing that comes to mind. So this should be fun. And you get one pass. And I will tell you that the questions get more interesting and more creative as we go. So save your pass as long as you can. Okay. All right. Ryan Tanky, are you ready? I feel like a game. I don't know. Does it, does it matter? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> We're ready. I'll hit start right now. All right. All right. Last book you read. Uh, start with why. Good one. In, uh, actually, Inf- Infinite Game was the last one by Simon Sinek. Same author. You're wasting time, aren't you, by longer yep. answers. Favorite yep. podcast. <laughs> Favorite podcast. Uh, Woj podcast on ESPN. First thing you do in the morning. Work out. What you wanted to be when you grew up? NBA player. Favorite superhero and why? Ooh, my <laughs> son and I talk about this a lot right now. I um, I love I love Tony Stark and Ooh. the whole Avengers series, but Tony Stark, I think his uh, his character is leadership. All right, good one. What superpower would you want and why? Time travel. Ooh, good one. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Uh, oh. <laughs> Key West, Florida, post-pandemic. Nice. You know, you're lucky we didn't get to question 10, and I kind of want to tell you what it is, but I also don't because I want to surprise people in the future. But I'm going to tell you because it's super fun, and you can answer it if you want to. Okay. Most embarrassing hairstyle or article of clothing from your childhood. <laughs> oh, I absolutely had the the mullet at different points and hanging out of a baseball hat um, (laughs) 
article of clothing. I mean, I, I absolutely had the uh, the Michael Jackson one glove when I was a kid. No way. Parachute okay. pants, all of it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Ryan, thank you so much for, for playing that game with us. You are a great sport. That was awesome. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, um, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been uh, such a pleasure to have you on today and talk about your career. And so thank you so much. You got it. This was fun. I hope it was, uh, hope it was productive for those listening and, and happy to be a part. was a good pod, wasn't it? Once again, a very special thanks to Ryan Tankey of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Minnesota Lynx. You can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Tankey, and that's T-A-N-K-E. As far as upcoming pods, we got a really fun one that we're super excited about recording. We are going to introduce you to uh, a 13-year-old young entrepreneur. Um, He has started his own line of bow ties. You'll get to know him, and you'll also find out how he's educating other young entrepreneurs like himself. So we're going to have young Anaki on the call along with his mom, Marsha, and we're really super excited to, to get that one recorded and edited and out to the masses. So... Once again, thank you uh, for joining us on Shovel Talk, and we will see you next time.